anything in life that you do where you want to be really good at it, to me, you have to study it. You have to study the profession. You have to invest in yourself to be really good at it. And one of the best ways to do that is watch other people, talk to other people that are good at what you would like to do in life and take advice and positive observations from them and make those part of your actions. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Casino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Greetings, everybody. My name is Jasmine DeLeon, and today I'll be your host. For this episode, we are thrilled to have Ed Bitterly on as our guest. Ed Bitterly is a global leader in sales, management, and talent acquisition. He is also a Seton Hall Stillman School of Business alum. Ed has about three decades working for ADP, a management services and tech company, and one of the biggest providers of human resources, software solutions, and outsourced services in the world. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jasmine and uh, everyone out there. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And uh, as a fellow and uh, alum of Seton Hall, I couldn't be happier to be here. Thank you. So how about we start from the beginning? Can you please tell our listeners about your experience at Seton Hall and what you were involved with? Sure. I'd be happy to, uh, you know, long time ago, but uh, I actually grew up in uh, a small town called Nutley, New Jersey. Many of the New Jerseyites on the uh, podcast would know where that is. It's about 10 miles outside of New York City. And uh, I chose Seton Hall as the school I would like to attend and was very excited about that. And one of the reasons, it may not be the right reasons, but I actually played a lot of sports in my life. And I went to basketball camp in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade at Seton Hall campus and the basketball head basketball coaches and the teams there, or the players were all there hosting a camp. It was one of my favorite times of my entire life, three summers of basketball camp at Seton Hall. So fortunately, unfortunately, I think that pushed me there. And I was so excited to then, you know, go there after I graduated high school. So my experience there was great. I was in the business school, loved it. I obviously took other classes too out in the liberal arts area, et cetera. So I was able to work my way around campus. I played tennis for Seton Hall as well, the Big East Conference, which was great. So I, I enjoyed that too. The one thing I would say for me is um, my, my school experience, I had a lot of fun for sure, but I also studied very hard. Um, some people might laugh at that. Some people might take that seriously. But I, I did study very hard. It didn't come that easy to me. I did get tremendous grades, thankfully, but I put a lot of hard work in. I studied a lot and um, and I attended all the classes. So uh, it was a great experience, graduated, and that set me up actually. I got a full scholarship to University of Connecticut for my MBA from my Seton Hall studies and accomplishments. 
So that was the the entry, or that helped me secure that full scholarship for my MBA at UConn. So I uh, couldn't be more thankful. And uh, my son went to Seton Hall as well, by the way. So love it. That's very impressive, especially working hard and making sure that you got the grades you deserved and that you were able to continue with your education. Why did you decide to study business and managerial economics at Seton Hall? Thanks, Jasmine. Uh, another good question, and I know I'm probably speaking to you on the podcast. Many of you're all you're all students, so you're probably grappling with what should my major be, what should I do after I get out of college, what I, what do I want to be? And some of you may have some very specific ideas, and that's fantastic. Some of you may not. That's fantastic too. But for me, I I chose business because I thought it offered me the most flexibility upon graduation. I, I witnessed a lot of business people in, you know, in my uh, college years that, you know, majored in different things and then business background and ended up as CEOs, as ended up to big leaders in big organizations or opening up their own companies, entrepreneurs, et cetera. And that's not for everybody, that, but that interests me. So business was where I thought... I could get a good foundation of education that would potentially open doors for me, but yet didn't pigeonhole me too much into a specific arena because I wasn't sure, frankly, what I wanted to do when I was a freshman and sophomore and even a junior. So I hope that helps. So after pursuing your MBA from the University of Connecticut, can you tell us how this degree helped you in your career? Yes, definitely. So again, as I just mentioned, I chose business to give me open doors, but yet not pin me too much into a specific area. This way, as I change my mind or figure out what I want to do, I'll have those options. So the business degree, regardless of what your major inside the business degree, well, let me start with a more basic premise. First of all, I don't know if a lot of you know this, only 54% of students that start a four-year degree finish the four, actually finish the four-year degree. So accomplish number one, whatever your major is, here's the good news. I know you're going to worry about that and you're going to sweat it out as to what your major should be and what that does for you. But here's number one, job number one is finish and get your degree from a great institution like Seton Hall. That will open doors for you for the rest of your life. So that's step one. Then step two for me, I chose the business again for flexibility. And what that did for me when I started to interview with companies, Jasmine, is that I had the business degree. I had tremendous grades and GPA to demonstrate. So accomplishment there. I had sports accomplishment there. I had summer, crazy summer jobs that all of you probably do as well. That gave me some accomplishment as well. And I finished my degree. So those four or five things allowed me to have some confidence and made me somewhat attractive as a recent graduate to a company like me to take a risk on me. So again, uh, the degree absolutely helped me. If I didn't have my degree, I wouldn't have gotten the jobs I've gotten in my life. So it's very important that uh, we all achieve that. I hope that helps. Certainly does. When did you start learning about and reflecting on your leadership? Leadership came a little bit later on. I, I obviously started with ADP in an individual contributor role. I started in a, a technical position for about a year because I thought that was a good place to get a background because I, I saw a lot of senior leaders at big companies had sales backgrounds and marketing backgrounds. So right or wrong, that's what I saw. So I chose sales and did that and actually did well 
in those individual contributor roles. And I believe because I demonstrated leadership. So obviously I did at some point move over to leadership. And that's how it happens, I believe, and organically, as you go into a company, small or big, you demonstrate great individual skills and great results. But in addition to that, the people that demonstrate teamwork, integrity, professionalism, caring for others, those people that do not just results, but they think about others, they start to demonstrate those leadership attributes and the companies you work with, trust me, they will identify those characteristics and talents from you and they will start to ask you and groom you for leadership. So that's how it, that's how the story evolved for me. I would say very organically, to be frank. For those listeners who do not know much about ADP, can you please tell us about what the company is and what different leadership positions you had? Yeah, I'm very proud to do that. So thanks for asking that question. First, I would say, let me just comment on me. Yeah, I, I did have three decades, over three decades of ADP work. That is extremely unique for young people to hear today. I understand that. But I will tell you that ADP is a global market dominant company. And I've been very fortunate to have chosen them and they chose me early in my career. And the reason I'm, I was there that long is because they changed my job every two or three years, promoted me, kept me interested. I relocated twice. I had global jobs. I had national jobs. I had individual jobs, as you know. I had small strategic roles. I had a startup role. So they groomed me and continued to groom me. And so I, I was in different divisions with the company. So when you change divisions with a big global company, you actually, it's like changing jobs to a new company in general. So that, that 30 years for me was like I was with seven or eight different companies, truly. So I would like to just articulate that to an audience that would think it's crazy that you would be with a company that long. It's not that crazy when you look at my career. And then back to ADP, we are, uh, we've been in existence for a long time, 70 plus years. We are well, the market dominant leader in human capital management services. We're a tech company. We've been a market leader from day one to hold that position for 70 plus years and reinvent ourselves every three or four years with new products, the way we do business, the way our employees work and operate is just an unbelievable accomplishment. We are the most successful company in the history of the New York Stock Exchange and now on NASDAQ. And many, many people don't know that. We're more successful than Walmart, Microsoft, and many other companies that have come before us that you hear a lot about. If you count all the year and the market dominance and double-digit growth, we are the most successful company in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. Many of you would know that. We don't do a lot of advertising, but just a tremendous supplier of human capital services to companies. And that business category right now, which is amazing, 75 years later, we are in the hottest, one of the hottest business categories in the world today. So the picture for ADP, for all of you on the phone, some of you may be graduating sooner than later. If one of the companies I would consider working for, if I were you, is ADP. I would put it on your list. I know what it did for me. And I know what the company is about, how they lead, how they treat people, and what the next three to five years look like at ADP as a tech company. I would certainly put that on your list of companies to consider when you, uh, when you all graduate. And I hope that helps you understand better about ADP. It does. As a freshman in the Leadership Institute, we had a lesson about the importance of adaptability and change management. Like you said, ADP has changed 
over the years, which is one of the reasons why it is so successful. What lessons and advice do you have for our listeners about how to adapt to change? I love the question. The good news is for all of you, two comments I'd make to tee up this answer. One, I said this on a call with maybe many of you in the leadership group uh, the other day. First, congratulations to all of you for being in this leadership institute for the four years while you get your degree. What a tremendous accomplishment on top of your degree. And what a message to future employees as they interview you. You're going to be, you're going to be well ahead of the game and well prepared. So that's, uh, that's fantastic for all of you. The second comment I would make is congratulations to all of you because you have grown up in the change era of life. So you, you, you expect change every day. So I wouldn't expect any of you on the phone as you move to your, or the podcast, move to your, 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 your new jobs out of college and companies you join or start companies. You live with change every day and half. So you don't even know what, you probably don't even call it change, which is great. So congratulations. Where people that have, might've been, you know, they're 50 plus years old, if I could use that age group, change might've been more difficult for them as it came about to them in their business careers. But I will tell you this, even for that group of people that are more experienced, they've adapted to change too, uh, because it's happened so much. So the headline is this, change is constant. It's a way of life for you. So I wouldn't complicate it or overthink it. Just continue to be you and do what you've done in your life so far, because you change every day. You adapt every day. New technologies change for you every six months. So you just you just keep absorbing change and keep moving forward and getting better every day and don't overthink the concept of change. As I say that, though, companies like ADP and myself, because of my generation and tenure with companies, we had a lot of technological change come at us that was life-changing along the way. And you have to adapt to survive. And you see, you've probably read or you're going to do case studies on companies like Kodak, which you probably never even heard of. But Kodak was cameras. Cameras don't exist as they did 20 years ago. Kodak is out of business. AOL is out of business because they weren't able to change and sustain. Go research ADP and look at what we've done for the last 75 years. To dominate for 75 straight years, it's borderline impossible. The only reason I say it's not impossible because ADP is doing it. But there's so many great companies that have just gone out of existence because they couldn't change fast enough. Back to the uh, point, our last point I'll make for you guys, though, you you have an inherent in how you've grown up. You will change fast enough. I know all of you will because it's just in your way of life. It's in your DNA, quite frankly. So congratulations on that. Embrace it and enjoy it and have fun with it because it's it's here to stay and it's forever and you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Working for ADP Global Leader, what are specific instances in working with other leaders who have supported and helped you grow in your career? Yeah, this one I, I take very seriously too. I study, I, I, like I did in college uh, at Seton Hall and University of Connecticut, Harvard as well. I, I studied very hard. I took it very seriously. That's just who I am. When I got into business and my jobs, I also studied very hard. Uh, I call it the non-company supplied skills. So ADP, like other companies, you join you some training. To me, it's never enough. So I always went for the non-company supplied 
training in my mind. I, I invested in myself. I would pay money to go to seminars, listen to DVDs. In this case, now podcasts are hot. Anything I could get my hands on, and I'd even pay for it to, to better myself and self-develop. That's what I did. But back to the point, the other thing I did in studying leadership is I, and I still do it today, I love to watch leaders in action under the gun, coaches on TV. We get high depth views of coaches, the highs and lows of their emotions, players in sports. I reference that because it's easy to watch and the, the TVs today just show it. For all of us, I was fascinated. Forget about who you voted for, but the, the six months of the election coverage last year, watching those leaders, the highs and lows, how they presented themselves, how they answered questions, this, this who, who was showing themselves sweating, who was not, uh, how they treated people, their mannerisms. I studied that. I just continue to study that. So at ADP, I watched leaders, my leaders, the leaders I've had. Some have made mistakes with me where I noted it and said, that didn't make me feel very good. And I said, I'm not going to do that when I'm a leader. And then the leaders that I worked for that did great things with me, I noted those things and tried to make those part of my portfolio in leadership when I became a leader. So it's like everything else, Jasmine and the podcast team, anything in life that you do where you want to be really good at it, to me, you have to study it. You have to study the profession. You have to invest in yourself to be really good at it. And one of the best ways to do that is watch other people, talk to other people that are good at what you would like to do in life and take advice and positive observations from them and make those part of your actions. Building off of that, who is a leader that you look up to and why do you admire them? I'll start with my father. And the reason I say that is because he is one of the most unbelievable role models I've ever witnessed in my life. And, you know, again, he's my father, so I'm going to be biased about that. But four siblings, when I remember growing up, we had a small house in Nutleaf. We, every, time, every time we had another family member, we had an in addition to the house. That's how small the house was. Our driveway was very small. Every time one of us got our driver's license, we had to pave more of the front lawn to create more parking. In the, in, the, in the front lawn for the house. So we lived in a very modest upbringing. My father worked multiple jobs. He eventually uh, was able to secure a great position with uh, the public utility in New Jersey and rose to the ranks into leadership roles. But early on, he, I know, I remember he worked very, very hard, uh, multiple jobs to, to support us. His work ethic was unmatched. His discipline was unmatched. But yet all that work, anytime an aunt, uncle, cousin, or somebody needed help, they always called him. They always called him. And it, whether it was the middle of the night, he would go over there. He'd go over there and, you know, build a deck for them. He, he just had that ability and he did it. And even today, he's always a positive individual, no matter what happens in life. So absolutely the greatest leader uh, probably I've ever, ever witnessed. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with my dad. Uh, I have read a lot of books and there's many other leaders that you know, are more public but for the reasons I mentioned, uh, Jasmine, that's why I would pick my father. Sounds like a great man. What are some of the most difficult lessons you've had to learn as a leader? Um, do you have any anecdotes to describe it? Well, get your phones out to key in some notes on this one because no, it's, there are a lot. We could spend three days on this. I'll give you a couple just heads ups that 
if you could make less of these mistakes early on in your leadership careers, it'll help move you faster. Um, by the way, you, I looked at the, uh, the training program that you guys are getting through your four years. You're hitting on some of these key points. So that's you're going to be well-trained and ready to go. But number one is, I know this is very simple, but that's I'm a simple person, is treat others as you would like to be treated. You know, we went to a Catholic university for hopefully some spiritual reasons as well. And um, if you just live what's taught in the Bible, then, you know, it, it just makes everything easy in leadership, it makes everything easy in life. But leadership, people are going to want to work with you and for you and dominate for you if you treat them like you would like to be treated. And a lot of them are surprised when senior leaders do that because they've been exposed to so many leaders that don't do that. Big egos, not nice people, all about themselves. So if you could just make a difference as step one, honesty, integrity combined with that, that'll be a home run for you and a great foundation. Number two is never ask people to do something you don't do yourself. Many leaders, you may have had it happen to you, college professors, et cetera, already, even family members. They ask you to do something, but they don't do it themselves. Their credibility shattered by that. So that would be another really basic one. And the third one I'll give you, and I'll stop there, would be, say you, your first team you get as a leader, and you, you have some leadership things you're doing now with people, even if it's indirectly. When you, when you work with leaders, uh, say you have five people you work with, they're all understand that they're all very different individuals that have very different mindsets, interests in life, backgrounds, etc. Even though you're going to have some team goals and unity around all that stuff and common goals, etc., make sure you have individual customized relationships with each person on your team. That will really foster great credibility, trust with the relationships you have with the people on your team. Example being, you might have a female on your team who's just about to have her first child. You're going to have different discussions with that person. Maybe it's about they're more concerned about what's going on outside of work in their life right now. And, you know, you would say, God bless. I totally let's talk about that. Let's forget about this work thing for now. You've got a more important thing happening in the next two months. A person has a sick parent and they might not, they might be a little off if you know they have the sick parent because you've had a personalized relationship to have that discussion. Now you could treat them much differently for the next couple of months in a positive way. If you have somebody else that says, Hey, Ed, you know what? I got, I could give 16 hours a day to work family yet. I could do anything I want in life and I want to work hard. Well, you'd have a different discussion with them and you could maybe give them some additional projects. So again, hopefully those are some examples of customized relationships and the great leaders just do that. And they have that trust and faith, both from the employee to them and them to the employee. And I, and I feel like I've done that because I have lifelong relationships. People are, I, I you know, retired from ADP last July and my job now is to help others like I'm trying to do with you guys today and uh, paying it forward. But I can tell you that people are calling me every day that I've worked with in the past, asking for advice, thoughts, coaching, et cetera. And it's not just about business. It might be about physical fitness. It might be spiritual. It might be about, you know, a financial situation as well. So I feel like when that stuff happens back, I know that I'm, I probably clicked in a customized way. I hope that wasn't too long and I hope it helps. It was great.
how have you balanced your work life and your personal life as a leader? I think you touched upon that a little bit in your previous question. Yeah, Jasmine, I needed a lot of work on this one. I am, you can probably tell I'm, I'm a maniac. I'm a little crazy. I get all in. When I, when I do something, I'm all in. And I'm not afraid to say my wife thinks I'm a little crazy, hopefully in a good way. My son thinks I'm a little crazy. My whole family, all my friends do too. But that's just who I am. And, and, I, and I do think, I mean this crazy in a good way, not in a bad way. So I'm one of those all-in types. And that's come easy for me. And I have to be careful talking about that to this audience because everybody's different. But for me, you know, self-discipline, you know, the things I do in a very regimented way to organize myself, my life, my commitments, uh, what, what I need to get done, the you know, top three or four things I need to get done. That's how I kind of have approached my, my life and my business life. So organized approach, keep every promise made. Uh, another, you know, throwing these little quotes and tidbits out to keep me going. But, you know, I, I, I believe I keep every promise made. And one of the reasons I do that is because I have a disciplined, organized approach, take care of myself uh, from a fitness point of view, from a financial fitness point of view, from a spiritual point of view. And again, but the struggle that, that I had, uh, the reason that was a struggle for me in my work life, how that translates to work-life balance, I needed you know, as I got seven, eight years into my business career, I was probably too much all in. And I needed a couple knocks on the head, if I could use that term, and studying of some just routines and other good leaders that have balanced their life a little bit better than me. And, uh, and I was able to do that. And the best way, the best way or the best biggest change in my business life that helped me balance my life was the day you have your first child, trust me. That will insert the appropriate balance in your life uh, more than anything else ever will. So remember those words and have fun with that when that happens. Because once that happens, it's more than just you and your spouse or significant others. You add that little baby in your arms. If that happens to any of you, God bless. Um, that's a good way to change too. So um, life changes make you uh, adjust and happen. I was a little over the top, but I was able to adjust over time through, through a couple of reasons I discussed. This is our final question. Um, I think that you said earlier, I love to watch leaders in action under the gun. Do you have any recommendations or practices on how to self-study, self-develop one's leadership and any parting words of advice for undergraduate leaders in the Puccino leadership? Yeah, absolutely. It's great final question. One, keep doing what you're doing in the leadership program because again, uh, it is. I wish I had that when I was at Seton Hall uh, uh, to have that leadership training in your four years is unbelievable. It's going to be great for you guys. I, I would put it in no one answer. So study everything that you can. So read, listen to podcasts, leaders in action through media, you know, whether it's, you know, TV, you know, obviously your streaming devices. And, and even if you don't like sports, sports is one of the best ones. Here's why I say that. Because the coaches are under the gun. They can't pre-plan their speeches. There's no teleprompter. You're getting their reaction live, good and bad. We're all big Seat Hall fans. I'm very mad that they're not in the tournament. But either way, watch coaches live. Watch politicians live. Watch press conferences of, 
of business leaders, CNBC, watch, watch CEOs getting interviewed. A lot of times when they're on getting interviewed, it's because either really good things happening at their company or there's a crisis in their market or at their company. So you get to witness people live and in the good and the bad. So the, the amount of media that's available now that wasn't available to me when I first started leadership is awesome. So I would take advantage of every one of those. You know, your your aunts or uncles, your parents, you don't want to judge people, but you can watch. There's leadership around you all day, every day, 24 by 7. So watch them in action and just make little notes in your mind. I like that. That made me feel good. That motivated me. Or I didn't like that. That didn't feel very good. And and bring that portfolio of, of skills with you and ideas and conscience competencies to your leadership positions. And I think you'll be a home run. Well, that is all the time that we have. Thank you, Ed, so much for coming on the podcast. And to our listeners out there, we'll see you next week. Thank you. On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at Shu Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.